The time of Advent is all about preparing for the coming of Christ. We prepare both to celebrate his first coming in humility, in history, in Bethlehem at Christmas. But more importantly to us now, we anticipate his second coming at the end of history in glory to judge all the nations. We like to think about the first coming, the image of the little babe laying in a manger. It's sweet and it's soft. We don't like so much to think about the second coming. We don't like as much to think about Christ coming to judge the nations, to judge each one of us. And it's understandable. We don't like to be judged. You know, in in this world, in our life, nobody likes to be judged. When we experience someone else judging us, our first response is to bristle against that. We think, you don't know me. (laughs) What gives you the right to judge me? You don't know who I am. You don't know my life. And this is as it should be, right? We're not qualified to judge one another. In fact, Christ forbids us from judging one another. But when Christ comes as the just judge, Isaiah describes him as judging in equity, judging in fairness, judging in mercy. So we don't need to worry about being judged unfairly at the second coming of Christ. Because our judge knows us better than we know even ourselves. Our judge knows all the circumstances of our life. He knows the intentions of our hearts, and he loves us. He loves us more than we can imagine that we are loved. So we don't need to look forward to that day of the final judgment with fear, but with hope. If we are prepared, if we are prepared, and that's why every Advent we renew that call to prepare the way of the Lord. What do we do to prepare for that final judgment? Well, the readings that we have today for the second Sunday of Advent um, give us some very different images of what that final judgment will be like. They begin with this image of great peace, right? In Isaiah, the wolf lying down with a lamb. But our gospel ends with this image of unquenchable fire. Ooh, what happened to the wolf laying down with the lamb? I like that image a little bit better. But both of these images speak to us truth, about the second coming and what that final kingdom will be like. Isaiah speaks of of a coming world where peace and justice will reign. Peace and justice. These two virtues, peace and justice, that are so foundational for all healthy relationships. We know this from our own experience. Without peace and justice, you can't have a good marriage. Without peace and justice, you can't have a good friendship. Without peace and justice, you can't have a good relationship between an employer and an employee. Without peace and justice, governments can't govern their people. Without peace and justice, you can't have a good relationship with God. Peace and justice are foundational. And Isaiah speaks of this coming world where justice and peace reign so supremely that even natural enemies like wolves and lambs will live peacefully together, where babies can play with snakes because they have no fear of being bitten, 
and where ferocious predators like lions will be out grazing in the meadow with the cows. This coming world will be so peaceful that it will not be governed by the shrewd cunning of ambitious politicians, but it will be governed by the innocence of a child. A little child will guide them, he says. What Isaiah is describing is a new order of creation where conflict and division and strife simply do not exist. They do not exist. In that coming world, there's no room for anger, there's no room for ambition, there's no room for selfishness, there's no room for greed. If you read Psalm 104, there's a curious prayer at the end of that psalm. Psalm 104 ends with this prayer, May sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Isaiah describes the fulfillment of that prayer. Because hatred has no home in God's kingdom. Pride has no home in God's kingdom. Greed has no home in God's kingdom. So if we want to make our home in God's kingdom, we have to get rid of those things. We have to banish those things from our hearts. If the peace of God's kingdom runs so deep that even a predator like the lion is transformed into a grass eater, what kind of transformation do you and I have to undergo? If we want to live in that kingdom of peace, we have to be people of peace. And that's what the Christian religion is meant to form us into, into a people of peace. Because peace doesn't start with us. Peace starts with God. Peace begins with God. There's a a fiction that gets told sometimes, I'm sure you may have heard it, that says religion is the cause of most wars. That's why John Lennon wrote that song, Imagine There's No no Religion. But that's a fiction. That's not true. Any honest historian will tell you actual religious wars are few and far between. They do happen, but they're the exception, not the rule. Most wars in history are fought over resources. And the number one resource that wars are fought over is water. Access to water. Probably the most abundant resource on the planet. And we fight over it. Maybe we imagine that in that world to come, there will be no conflict, no wars, no hatred, because in this new glorified creation, God will make sure that everyone has enough. Everyone has enough resources to satisfy our needs. And certainly he will do that. But our faith teaches us right now in this world that we can trust in God to satisfy our needs and give us what we need. Jesus says, consider the lilies in the field, right? If God takes care of them and he clothes them with such beauty, will he not take care of us? Trust in God. Trust in God. Economists tell us that even with the exponential growth of the human population in recent generations, there's more than enough resources on our planet to sustain everyone. The problem's never been a lack of resources. The problem is how we distribute those resources. Instead of sharing God's blessings freely with those who need them, our tendency is to store up more and more and more for ourselves. If you look around the globe and you look at the poorest nations, the nations that are in the worst shape, they're not the nations that have the fewest resources. They're the nations that have the most corrupt government, that don't see that their people get what they need. 
greed and pride and arrogance, it turns us into prey, and into predators, rather, and it makes us treat our neighbors as prey. Sin turns us into predators. And if that's true on a large societal level, it's true on a personal level, too. Why do we find division in our communities? Why is there division in our families? Why is there division in our churches? It's because there's division in our hearts. If my heart is greedy and you have something that I want, I'm going to try and take it from you. Or I'm going to resent you for having it. If my heart is prideful, then I'm going to take offense if you say something I don't agree with. Because don't you know I'm smart? Don't you know that my way is the right way? Everyone should do what I want them to do. Whatever our personal sins might be, it all comes down to this. We were made to love God above all things. And instead, far too often, we love ourselves above all things. Instead of saying to God, thy will be done, we say to ourselves, my will be done. Thomas Merton once wrote that we're not at peace with one another because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. The season of Advent is all about preparing for the coming of Christ by ensuring that we are at peace with God. We don't need to wait until the end of time for the coming of Christ. Christ is ready to come into your heart right here today. But to welcome him, you have to remove any obstacles to his presence. This is why John the Baptist says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. To make straight the paths of the Lord are to remove the obstacles of sin and selfishness. We prepare the way of the Lord by doing the will of God, by bearing good fruit. Jesus says, not everyone who cries out, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but the one who does the will of my Father. Elsewhere, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what is the will of the Father? What does Christ command us to do? We don't have to look hard for the answer. It's all over the gospel. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, and the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is built upon that foundation. He says in John's gospel, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. In Matthew's gospel, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The will of God is not a riddle that we have to solve. It's not something that's hidden away from us. Jesus is quite plain spoken about this. He says, stop judging one another. Matthew 7, verse 1. And do to others as you would have them do to you. Matthew 7, verse 12. Open up any page of the gospel, you'll find this message. And the way that our Lord describes the final judgment He says at that time, we will be judged according to how we treat one another, especially how we treat the most poor, the most in need, the most vulnerable. So it's not a mystery. It's a simple equation. If we love God and love one another, we will have a place in God's kingdom. If we only love ourselves, and if we only care about ourselves, then we will not have a place there. 
It's that simple. This is why John the Baptist describes the coming of Jesus as being like a harvester with his winnowing fan in his hand. Most of us, I'm going to guess, have never seen someone use a winnowing fan. You probably don't even know what that is. But it's a tool that the, the farmers use after the harvest to separate out the grain from the chaff. When you harvest the wheat, the only part you want is the grain, that useful grain. You can make bread with it. You want that. You don't want the leaves and the stems and the stalks and all of that stuff. That's the chaff. So you'd use this giant fan to stir everything up, and the heavier grain would fall to the floor, and it would be gathered up and stored, but the leaves and the stalks and all that other stuff, it's lighter. It would get blown away, and you'd gather that chaff up, and it would be burned because it wasn't good for anything else. There is no place in the farmer's storehouse for chaff, just like there's no place in the kingdom of God for selfishness and for pride and for ambition and for greed. Sinners will vanish from the earth and the wicked will be no more. That's what we pray for. That's the kingdom that we pray for when we pray, thy kingdom come. And that's why every Advent we renew John's prophetic message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That kingdom where the lion eats hay with the ox is at hand. That kingdom that will be led by a little child is at hand. And we need to be ready for it. How do we get ready for it? How do we get ready for that kingdom of peace? It's by being a people of peace. If peace doesn't reign in your heart, if God's will doesn't reign in your heart, if you don't recognize that other people are just as worthy of love as you are and treat them accordingly, then you have no place in the kingdom where the wolf lies down with the lamb. You'll be like chaff. Our sins are chaff. Before John speaks about that unquenchable fire where all the chaff is gathered and burned, he talks about another fire. He talks about the fire of Christ's baptism. One who is coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That fire will burn away the chaff of sin from your heart. On that coming day, all of our attachment to sin, all of our sinful inclinations, my greed, my pride, my arrogance, my selfishness, that will be burned away. And I'm looking forward to that day because I'm tired of that stuff. It's not doing me any good. And as long as I give that over to Christ and let him burn that up, I'm looking forward to my place in that kingdom. But if I hang on to that, if I say, no, I love my selfishness, I love my pride, I love my greed, I love my anger, I love all of that. That's me. That's who I am. Well, when that gets burned up, I'm going to be burned up along with it. That's the unquenchable fire that John warns us against. That's hell. That's hell. So what we have today is a warning, but we also have an invitation. It's an invitation. Let all that go. Let it go. And let God's peace reign in you. Because that little child that Isaiah prophesied would rule that kingdom, he's come already. He's come 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. He was born the king of peace. As we prepare to celebrate his birthday, let's make ourselves a people of peace.
May the peace of that child, the peace of Christ, reign in your hearts now and forever.